But let's go to the verse on power, which is Hebrews chapter 4. And let's look at that verse. And uh, 4, 14 through 16, and you may, if you're going to, I hope you take notes. The outline will be on the PowerPoint and some of that stuff, but some of the verses aren't. And you may want to go back on these verses, because what do we do if we wandered away from the source of power? How do we get back? Okay. Hebrews 4, 15 and 6, uh, 14. Seeing then that we have a great high priest that has passed into the heavenlies, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feelings of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like we are, yet without sin. Now, before I read the next verse, I have our counselees do this. Remember um, Bill's definition of grace, which is the very best definition I ever heard. It made sense years ago when I was a pastor, when I went to my first seminar in the 60s. I thought, this makes sense. You know, they say grace is the unmerited favor of God or Christ's riches, God's riches at Christ's expense. That doesn't tell me what it is. God's love, mercy is unmerited. I didn't earn it. What is it? Well, Philippians 1.6 says, Being confident of this very thing, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Christ. I trust you're cooperating. But whether you're cooperating or not, God is what? He's committed to work in you. Philippians 2.13, and also the, uh, often the Apostle Paul does this, he picks that theme up and he builds on it. And so he picks it up again, and he said, God is working in you both. Both means two things. Both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is giving me the desire and the power to make choices that would honor him. That's what that's all about. If you substitute the word power for grace, you're going to be closer to the Greek meaning than anything else that I know you could do. And I wanted to say that because of verse 16 here. And we have our counselees read this, and we have them put the word power in here. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of what? Power, that we may obtain mercy and find what? Power to help in our time of need. Doesn't that make that verse stand out more than just grace, if you're not sure what grace means. It's the throne of empowering. And he said, in our need, go there. Then why are there so many depowered Christians? Monday, I went to the office. We had 18 phone calls from all over the United States calling for help, just on Monday. People who's living defeated lives knowing that they're hurting, knowing that somehow they need help. They can't seem to get out of their stuff. God's power is strong. This is what I believe the problem is. The problem is this. When I need the power, I don't go there. Because I enjoy the pleasures of sin. The problem with the powered Christians is not that the throne has no what? 
power is that we don't go there when we should go. How powerful is God? Now, this is just an illustration from the week, two weeks ago. We had a family bring an adopted 16-year-old son. Kevin Stickler, who's on the front row here, an alert guy, has been doing an in a counseling internship in my office. And Kevin has been sitting with me. And Kevin and I do team counseling. And sometimes uh, it seems like that Kevin connected better with some of these younger kids than I did. I try to connect with them, but sometimes I don't. They see me as a grandfather. They see Kevin as more of an older brother. Well, I asked Kevin to open in prayer. This is the first day of counseling. Boy, his dad on the couch, you know, and I'm sitting there, and Kevin prays, and in there he prays that God would put his hedge of protection around us, you know, that kind of thing, and protect us and command anything that would try to interfere with the counseling to leave and to go where Jesus sends it, whatever he prayed, but something like that. And when he got through praying, this kid looks up at Kevin and said, why did you pray for protection? What do you know? And then he jumped up under the influence of demons and tried to attack Kevin. And this is going to be quite a week. This is just after prayer. We haven't opened the Bible yet. I haven't even started counseling this kid. This is bad. And, uh, uh, and he went towards Kevin, and then he sat down, and Kevin said, you know, you couldn't touch me. And, he, and the kid said, I know. Because Kevin said, I quoted 1 John 5, 18, I'm in Christ, the wicked one touches me not. He said, I can't touch you because the Holy Spirit is in you. How about that? And then one time during the week, he tried to attack me. And at the end of that week, I was totally exhausted, shredded. <laughs> I told my wife, what time is it? I think it's bedtime. It's 4.15, isn't it? Because <laughs> you get emotionally. I mean, you hear this kid, and times his eyes are funny. Other times voices are coming. Other times we don't know where he went. But I can tell you the power of God. That young man went home on Friday totally free. On church on Sunday, he got up and witnessed to a guy who was there and tried to lead him to Christ. The family could not believe. The mother said, this boy cannot stay in the house if he doesn't come to freedom. If he doesn't experience the freedom of Christ, he can't live in this house. They'd wake up at night, and he's standing by their bed. A 16-year-old boy didn't know he was in there. Talk about creepy. And the mom said, I can't live with this. He was at a Bible camp, and the, the guy is waxing eloquent. He leaps out of the audience, runs up, and it jumps on the speaker. And uh, they said, we think this boy needs help. So... But I want you to know that God is powerful. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. All we need to do is to go back to that source of power and cry out to him for whatever it is. Ask God to work in your life and in your situation. See, prayer is a very important weapon that God has given us. In the spiritual battles of life, there's only two weapons. The Word of God and what? And prayer. Ephesians 6. The Word of God and prayer. Prayer, when you and I begin to get a burden and a developing a burden for prayer, prayer ushers us into the holies of holies, where we bow before the deep mysteries of the deep.
and of the faith. See, have you left your secret closet of prayer? Have you wandered away, wandered away into the far country of busyness, ministry, service, noise, frustration? God is waiting for you and me to come home. The place where we belong and the place where we were created for. He's got, I, I, I saw this because I wanted to address this to the prayer prodigals that are here. See, are you a prayer prodigal? The Father is standing with his arms outstretched to welcome you back into intimacy with himself. He didn't go anywhere. We did, didn't we? We allowed things. We have found that success and busyness have destroyed so many Christians because they left their source of what? Power and are operating in the flesh. Moms, I'll tell you this. Without returning to that source of power, I don't know how you can homeschool at all effectively. Homeschooling is one of the most difficult things a woman can be committed to. Am I right, women? We're not saying the results aren't wonderful. We're not saying the effort you put in, but let me tell you, if you start homeschooling in the flesh, you are soon going to be a frustrated mother. But if you will go back to your source of power, and return to the Father who is waiting to empower you for what he's called you to do, you will find the homeschooling thing, a whole, same, same kids, same room, same whatever, but all of a sudden there's something different because there is the dimension of the Spirit of God ministering through you to your kids. I used to uh, do a lot of teaching of men for Gothard many, many years ago. And I would uh, do this about having uh, devotions. I hate devotion. I hate the word devotion. I, I've mentioned this before. Devoting, you know, I don't want you to devote. There are too many people devoting. You know, I read my daily bread. You know, I read the devoting, devoting material, and I've devoted. Let me tell you, the church is devoting today. The sad part is they left quiet times. And a quiet time is where you expect to meet who? God. And you want to be quiet before him so that God can speak to your heart. And God can give you the power that you need for today. At a medical seminar last week, or last year, and if we're going to have it again in a few weeks, uh, Bill said something in that medical seminar that was major changing for my personal life. 
And he said this. He talked about Matthew, where it says, you know, seek and you shall find and knock and all that stuff. At the end of that, it says, won't your Heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit that ask him? And uh, I know that that was before Jesus died and before Acts and so on. And I was going through my mind that, Bill, how does that relate to today when we all have the Holy Spirit? Because Jesus said, you don't have the Spirit of Christ, you're none of his, and so on. And he relayed that to Ephesians chapter 4. Now, there are only three things we're told to do about the Holy Spirit of God. Grieve not. We grieve the Holy Spirit by saying yes to sin. We quench the Spirit by saying no to God. And we're told to be filled with the Spirit. If you read Acts 5, remember Ananias and Sapphira? Peter looked at them and he said to Ananias, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? That word filled there is the same Greek word as in Ephesians, being filled with the Spirit. It's pretty tragic when you see some man so overwhelmed with lies and deception and all that. A person says, you're filled, you know, as you should be filled with the Spirit, you're filled with the Spirit of a different kind. There's a more in control of your life than God's Holy Spirit. And that filled there is to be continually filled. God is asking us, if you look in the Greek, it's a continual process of the Holy Spirit. And Bill Gothard said this, why don't you pray every day and ask God to fill you with the Spirit? And I can't tell you the changes about in my own personal life by every day is saying, Lord, this is a day you've made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Father, fill me with your spirit today. I don't know what I'm going to face in the office. I don't know what the tragic phone calls I'm going to have to deal with. But I need wisdom. And Father, I need your presence. I need you to guide me. I prepare my heart, but the answer of the tongue is what? From the Lord. And I want the spirit of God to use me with the hurting, tragic situations that we have to deal with. Well, God does wait, and he's calling you and me home. The key to fellowship, the key that opens fellowship with God, the key is called prayer. That's the key. Now, you may want to go to Genesis 17, 1. The center of the Christian life is contained in God's words to Abraham in 17.1. He starts out that verse and said, I am. God is the I am. He's the great I am. I am. And then he says, look, I am the Almighty. The word Almighty is powerful one. Abraham, I am the powerful one. And then he says, I am God, the holy living God. And then he says, Abraham, walk before me. That has to do with my continual relationship with God. Abraham, have a continual relationship with God. And then he says, be thou perfect. And that has to do with his conduct. Be thou perfect. David said in Psalm 16, this is a tremendous song, psalm, I have set the Lord always before me. Some translations say, I've set the Lord always before my face. Because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. 
Genesis 3.8, and Adam and Eve heard the voice of God walking in the garden. God was communicating with man in a personal way. And God has designed you and I that he can communicate with us today. Remember the, the hymn that was in hymnals? I come, where? To the garden alone. And he walks with me and he talks to me. Let us return to the place where we meet God and receive the empowering of the Lord to finish the work that he's called us to. Okay, steps to a practical, joyful prayer life. There's two wonderful prayer verses I'd like to give you. I'm going to the Bible. I am marking in this particular Bible, most of you know I read the Bible through once or twice a year and I read a different Bible every time. This one I'm marking every prayer in the Bible. Every time someone walked to talk to God, every time God talked to them, I'm marking every prayer promise in the Bible. And I'm almost done with the Bible. And it's been a really thrilling time. And then looking at the prayers, exegete the prayers of Paul. Phenomenal prayers. The best intercessory prayer that you could ever pray is Colossians chapter 1. You look there, when Paul was praying for those at Colossae, what a, a way of praying scripture back to God. But John 16, 23 and 24, Whatsoever ye shall ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. That's quite a promise. Hitherto you've asked nothing in my name, Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full or overflowing. Psalm 16, 11, the psalmist adds, Thou will show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. And at thy right hand are pleasures evermore. Now, what we want to do is to give you steps. These steps were designed by a man that I admire greatly, one of the today men of prayer, a very godly man, Dick Eastman. Maybe many of you know Dick Eastman. You know, he wrote The Hour That Changed the World and so on. Just a very godly man, has a prayer life that I would give anything to have a, a, just a little of a prayer life like this man has. And so we're looking at now, how do I get back? If I'm a prayer prodigal and I've left my source of power, I've left intimacy with God, and I've wandered away, how do I get back? Here are some steps of action. The first word is the word find. These will all be words starting with F. Find. What do I need to find? What am I looking for? I need to find the best possible time and the very best place for prayer. If I'm going to get back and start having a meaningful walk with God, then I need to have this. Remember in Matthew 6, 6, Jesus said, when you pray. Assumes what? 
that you do have a time you pray, right? Jesus said, when you pray, I assume you're setting a time to pray. Then he said, enter your closet, which is a place to pray. And it needs to be a place at all possible that you will not be interrupted. Remember Susanna Wesley? Now, I'm not taking anything away from Susanna Wesley, but she did have help. Do you remember that? She had some help. But when Susanna Wesley threw the apron over her head, according to Bill Gothard, because um, you know, I've never met her, um, the kids became very quiet because mom was going where? In the presence of God. On the book table back there, it has my most favorite Christian biography, uh, John Payton. Missionary to the Cannibals. I believe they have it on the back there on uh, where they're selling books. John Payton lived in a one-room house with a little bump-out. They made socks. They were poor. All, they, they homeschooled and it was home industry. They were making socks so they could eat. And every day, the dad would pull back the little curtain. It was a very small bed. He would go in that room. The curtain would come down. He'd kneel by the bed. And his dad cried out to God for his family, for needs, and for the town prostitute. And when he did, the children were quiet. Do you children know that you're entering into the very presence of God? We need to be quiet because mom's going to talk to God right now. And he's going to show me what I need to do and help me to go through today. Okay, you be quiet. If, you know, if there's no one else, Mom, you can do this to train the children that it's important to go to God and to be quiet so I can hear what he says. Because, you know, when you guys are fighting or talking or whatever, you don't hear me. And God says, be still and know that I am God and I need to be still. So John Payton's father was crying out for the prostitute. And one day she was walking by their little house, and she heard her name, and she crept up to the window. And here she heard this man weeping over her sinful life. And she would creep by every day because he had a set time of praying. And that prostitute accepted the Lord on her knees outside of the window, listening to this dad crying out for her. Isn't that beautiful? You know, Because this guy had a burden, and he had a time. And he had a place, and the family honored that, that their dad could cry out to God. Watchman Nee say, those who have no set time for prayer, don't pray. Have you said you're going to get around to it? Well, I got a box of them, not here, but at home, and I'll mail you one around to it, you know, so you can start getting your prayer time. Don't miss this time with God. You are going to be so sad when you get to heaven and realize what you missed in fellowship and walking with the Father. And all the time, he was inviting you to come home where he could share his heart with you and you could share your heart with him. So we need to develop a habit time and we need to develop a place for prayer. The second one is forget. What do I need to forget? I can't tell you. I've been to prayer seminars. When I was at, the, I told you, the largest mission in the world, I was responsible for the day of prayer. Our mission worked in every state in the United States, every province in Canada, and 160-some countries of the world. We were all over the place. And we had a day of prayer, and I'd bring in these great prayer warriors, 
to lead us in a day of prayer. That's where I met Dick Eastman. You know, he was at that mission like 21 years ago. And the people there said their life is still changed from that one day they spent with Dick Eastman. But he really challenged me. God really spoke to my heart. And then I fell away. I'm telling you, when you want to get back into intimate relationship with God, you will have a battle that you cannot believe. And the battle will be all kinds of circumstances that's trying to hinder you from getting along with God. You say, you know, this, this isn't worth it. It just isn't worth it. It's so hard. But once you develop that, and, and the enemy knows that you're sincere, it's amazing how easy it is. But in the beginning, let me tell you, it is not easy. But what do I need to forget? All previous failures in prayer. What can God do with all of my failures? I'd like to read this to you. It's called Of Weavers and Rug Makers. In the outskirts of Beni Suf, I came to a village that was entirely Coptic. This is in Egypt. I was given a tour of the church in the town, and I visited some homes and shops. In one of the shops, I stood watching a number of rug makers at their trade. They sped the shuttle back and forth on Coptic looms, built like those that were used in Pharaonic times. It was fascinating. It was amazing. I said to one of the rug makers, what if you make a mistake with the shuttle? You are going so fast that you won't see the air in the design until you have woven several layers over it. What will you do then? Will you unwind the carpet and remove the layers of thread you've added? No, said the rug maker. We would never do that. That would take far too much time. But I'll tell you a secret. The most beautiful rugs with the most elaborate designs and the most expensive weavings are the ones with mistakes hidden inside. How's that, I asked. Well, once we notice the mistake, we have to integrate it into the pattern. We have to change the pattern to include the mistake and make it part of the new design. Sometimes the new design is far more complex, far more embellished than anything we could have created ourselves. That is why the most beautiful rugs are the ones with the mistakes hidden deep inside. Isn't that beautiful? A great deal of wisdom in this oriental art. Perhaps it's like the province of God, for sometimes people with the deepest wounds, the most serious flaws, and the most serious prayer mistakes or prayer failures exhibit the greatest glory to God. God can take your failures and weave them into something that could be beautiful. Fight. Ephesians 6.13. Paul uses the full armor of God to resist the enemy of prayer. We need to fight all of the hindrances to praying. The greatest hindrance to having a life of prayer and intimacy with God is not praying at all, except the sky lobs. You know, God help me. You know, bless you. 
I have bought over 800 in my library. I have 800, over 800 books on prayer in a deeper life. I got bookcases full of these books, and I've read them. And some have been really wonderful. Some have been, some, you know, but some have been like this. You know, you read it, you go, oh, man, I just got to have that. God, I know you and I respect our person. I want to, I want what these guys have. I want that closeness with you, and it's important for my wife and my kids. Well, at dinner time, I pray, you know, Lord, bless this food. Amen. And my wife says, I don't know how much money we've spent, but I think we spent a lot of money, you know, probably hundreds and hundreds of dollars, and you have over 800 books on prayer, and is that the best you can do? You know, bless this food. So being a godly husband, I said, I'll fix her. And some of you know my wife. So the next night we bowed for prayer at dinner. And I said, you know, Father, bless the missionaries in the Philippines. Bless the missionaries in China. Bless the missionaries in Taiwan. You know, by the time I got through, it had been cold. I said, that's enough. I'll take God bless his food. Amen. <laughs> I, knew, I knew she didn't want me to pray around the world. You know, like kids will do. Uh, <clears throat> I love my wife. Uh, last year when we did the uh, medical seminar, my wife and I had been married 50 years, just two weeks before. And so I told the doctors, I said, you know, my wife and I have some advice for you. We've been married 50 years, and thank God all of our children have accepted Christ as Savior. Uh, three of our children are serving God full-time, and one of our son-in-laws is making an honest living because he has a real job. You know, he's not sponging off of God. And seeing our grandkids now saved and, and committed and serving God, it's so thrilling. You know, to start seeing the generations that what we did is imperfect as we are to see our children and our children's children walking with God. Let me tell you, that's exciting. But you still pray like crazy. You get your kid raised and then all of a sudden your kids have kids and you got to start this prayer stuff all over again. Because it's more wicked now than it was when we raised our kids. You know, there's so much more evil out there, accessible evil. And the enemies wants to trap our kids. Anyway, um, where was I going? Maybe I'll remember tonight. So call my room tonight about midnight and I'll lay in bed. Oh, yeah, I know what I was going to say. I don't remember now what I was going to say. But there are two real hindrances to prayer here. Oh, I was going to say, oh, yeah, married 50 years. What was our advice? And our advice to all the medical doctors at the medical seminar last September was, the first 50 years are the hardest. <laughs> We're hoping the second 50 is going to be downhill. I can tell you this, marriages don't work. You work them. And you cry out to the one that can help you to be the person God wants you to be in that relationship. Remember, right? Aren't you here? You know that. You know, there, there's very few. When I taught marriage counseling at Bible college, I told the students that Cinderella and Prince Charming got married and lived happily ever after, and now they're dead. And very few couples live happily ever after. Remember what Bill Gothard said, and I thought, amen, when he said it. If two people agree on everything, one of them is unnecessary. And 
My wife is a very sweet prophet. She is. Ask Anne. I don't know if, you know, Phil and Anne. Phil and Anne have been in our home and, uh, you know, they play the piano and they, and they know my wife. And my wife, my, uh, Anne refers to her as a princess. My wife is a very godly woman who has a prayer life that's unbelievable. I, I do not remember in our 50 years of marriage, my wife ever missing a day with God and a day praying. That's why our kids turned out. Let me tell you, if your kids are decent, it's the mom. Now, if the dad's not doing his thing, they're not going to turn out decent. But if the dad's doing his thing, the mom is there, what? All day long, working with those kids. And I knew, I take my hat off to the... You ask the godly young men in our school, and they'll say, yes, their dads were really neat, but it was their mom. They watched her live out Christianity day after day, year after year, year after year. And they knew Ty's mom was frustrated. You know, any woman that's ever homeschooled, not been frustrated, you, know, you got one kid that, that, that has the flu, another kid, you know, knocked over the milk, and two kids are punching each other. And you say, now let's pray. <laughs> and that's why we need the Lord, don't we? <clears throat> you do not know what a day is going to bring forth. And you don't know the kinds of things you're going to face, but I'll tell you, he does. And he can prepare you and empower you for those days that are unexpected. But one of the things we have to fight here. James 4.2 says one of the greatest hindrances to prayer is you have not because you've asked not. We haven't gone to the Father and just laid it out before him and asked him. But James 4.3 says and other hindrances are asking with wrong motives. God is, God doesn't care about your prayers. When you really develop an intimacy with God, Often, words break the back of prayer. And some of you have been there. What can you say in the presence of holy? Except just bask in his presence. God is here. He's ministering to me in such a way I'm almost holding my breath. And to say words would just be so... I can't... How can I say words? It would cheapen this. I just let my heart commune. I know I'm in his presence in a, in a very, very special way. And that is so special when you have those times where you know that God is ministering to your heart in such a way, in such a meaningful way. So when I pray, I've got to be sure, are my motives right? God doesn't care about what your prayers sound like. You know, when we have that prayer retreat for men, we don't pray together. You know why I don't want men to pray together? We have a tendency to forget who we're talking to. You understand what I'm saying? We're praying to what? The guys. Well, if I say this, they'll think I'm spiritual. Oh, God. You know, or whatever. And I go, we don't need that. Maybe on the last day, we do have some of that. But the purpose is that a guy would have his intimate walk with God. I don't want to put him on the spot. I don't want to make him feel embarrassed. I don't want to make him have to pray. Why is he there? He's there because I'm there. I want to learn how. That's why I came. I want that. I know my prayer life's okay, but I know there's a dimension missing, and I want that, and I need that, because I know it will take me through 
whatever I'm going to have to face. Focus. Focus on the Lord rather than answers to prayer. Someone said we keep a prayer list to tick off God's faithfulness. Now, God answer this, God answer that, God answer this. And I'm not saying that God didn't answer prayer. Somebody was sharing all their answers to prayer, and the guy looked at him, someone will tell you something. Every one of your answers to prayer was coincidental. Someone will tell you something. Uh, when I don't pray, I don't have coincidences. I'd like you to turn to Jeremiah 29, 12-14. And I want you to see something that is very outstanding. You know, often in verses or chapters or even whole books, the key to the book is a word that's repeated over and over and over again. And different books, they say, the, me, the, the purpose of this book is this, because this word is used more in Mark immediately, straightway, more than any other book, and so on. But look at 29, 12 through 14. This and underline all the me's. Then shall they call upon what? Me. Ye shall go and pray unto who? Me. And I will hearken unto you. Hearken is to listen with doing. And ye shall seek who? Me. And ye shall find who? Me. When ye shall search for me with all your heart. And then he said, I will be found of you, saith the Lord. Aren't those wonderful me's? Go back. Look at that. Tremendous thing. See, effective prayer isn't gauged by how many answers we receive, but how much we touch God. Are you touching him? There's a lot of material. Bill has one of the material on, on uh, you know, different positions and praying. And every position you can think of is mentioned in Scripture. I just had knee surgery a while ago. And it supposedly was healed last Friday. But I can't kneel and pray. And if the only way you can seek God's face and get answers is kneelings, I'm in trouble. I can lay on my face before the Lord, and I can sit, and I can whatever, walk, but I cannot kneel. Because the pain, you know, if you take a position that's so painful, what are you thinking about? Man, I get this prayer thing over with, this is killing me. You know, rather than being comfortable in going into his presence. Follow. Follow a meaningful plan of action. Write this verse down. Psalm 5.3. And in that, the psalmist said, if you read that verse, he would direct his prayers unto the Lord in the morning. What's been thrilling is I've gone through these prayer things when a verse jumped out at me or there was a word in that verse that was such a key that the whole verse was kind of revolved around that one word. Well, if you have a Zodiotis Bible, go back and look at the Hebrew. Go back and look in the Greek. 
Now, what is the meaning of that word? I did not know exactly what the meaning, Hebrew meaning, of the word direct. What does that mean? The word for direct means to set in order or arrange. Wasn't that what the guy was talking about ahead of time? I thought it was neat how he called his guys that John Noble that has his noble men. I, I didn't know the name of the guy that was standing up here. I kept asking Kevin, what's the guy's name? And I kept saying Noble. I, maybe his name is Noble, but I know it's not. That, that was not his name. But what was he saying? He was saying, have a plan of action, a strategy. Remember? That was all what that's all about. I'm saying you need the same thing for praying. You need the same thing. Do what the psalmist did. Set it in order. There's times you want the Spirit of God to lead you in prayer. L let me share one of those. I was at one of the Gothard places. I don't want to tell you which one. I've been to almost all of them. And it was Sunday. And in any of the Gothard ministry places, uh, Sunday is like that thing, not a creature is stirring, not even a mouse. You know, it's just pretty dead. It's very quiet. And so I was just alone in my room with the Lord. And I was crying out to God. And, and I just said, Lord, is there anybody you want me to pray for? Is there anything you want me to do? And the Lord spoke in my heart, go see this person. And I like this person. And I thought, no, that's just me. Well, I prayed three times. I'm a little slow. But when the third time it said, go see this person, I needed to go see this person. And I went and I knocked on his door. He opened the door and he looked at me like, what in the world are you doing here bothering me? And I'm going, man, did I ever get, you know, did I ever get the wires crossed? He said, come on and sit down. I sat down. He looked at me and he said, I've been praying all morning that you would come and see me. I'm in sexual bondage. Will you, through the word of God, help me to walk in the freedom of the cross? And that older young man came to freedom over two years ago and has not gone back to any moral failure of any sort for two years. I am so thankful that I was open to the voice of God, quietly listening, is there something that God wants me to do? Another one, there's a family that brought their son to see me. This guy was so messed up sexually, he was 12 years old. But he looked like he was 15. It's not easy for a boy to be through puberty by the time he turns 12. And this boy had male desires in a young boy's body as far as, you know, maturity and all that goes. And he was a mess. And, and God worked in that kid's life. I can't, I can't tell you the wonderful things that's happened in his life over all these years. He's walked with God. He's been used of God. He's called of God and all of this. I'm so glad the parents trusted enough to bring him to see me when he was 12. And God worked in a marvelous way. And one day, God laid on my heart, called his family. And I'm getting to understand God's voice for me when he's speaking to my heart, when I'm quiet enough to hear. See, what makes you think God isn't speaking today? Won't you be shocked if you get to heaven and God's been speaking to you and you've never set a time to listen? He had so many things he wanted to tell you. Lay on your heart. So much direction he wanted to give you. But you were too busy serving him. 
to sit at his feet. We, we need to have the Mary and Martha combination, don't we? We need the both. We need to serve, but we also need to do what Mary did. Remember? Jesus said, what did she choose? She chose the better part. She sat at his feet and listened to him speak. And God told me to call this family. And I just thought, I'm going to call. I called this family on the phone, and the dad said, you won't believe this. My wife and I could have called you, but we said, no, Lord, we think we need to talk to Logan. Have him call us. We've been praying for a week. I'm so glad that I set aside time to listen and God to lead me to call this family. They've been praying I would call them, and it was exactly... I mean, I could go on and on. I'm t- you may be missing a tremendous adventure by not developing intimacy with God. So have a plan of action. I need to develop a prayer life. I need to feed. Every day on spiritual food. What did Jesus say in Matthew 4.4 when he was tempted by the enemy? Make these stones bread. What did he say? He said that man would not live by bread alone, but every word, uh, every word from the mouth of God. We need to read the Bible daily so we can pray the Bible back to God. Fellowship. I love this one. Fellowship with the Lord in love. Hosea 6, 1 through 3, the first part says, Let us return unto the Lord. And then it says, If we follow on to know him. That word know is a very significant Hebrew word. The word know is yada, Y-A-D-A. What is interesting, God said to Adam, Adam, yada, Eve. And the result was what? Cain and Abel. See, the word means intimate contact. When it says to know him, in the Hebrew, it will be yada. That we can have an intimate relationship with God. The Bible is calling us to that. And out from that relationship comes our ministry. Because otherwise you'll minister out of an empty bucket. Or you'll minister out of you know, Bible knowledge or whatever up here, but you want to to minister from your life. Intimacy with the Lord is literally the key to joyful prayer and a joyful walk with the Lord. Number eight, forgive. Two verses to put down. See, every wrong that's been done to you Mark eleven twenty five. When you stand praying, what's he say? Forgive if you have ought against any. Matthew six fourteen. If you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. 
The Lord knew that if we hold grudges, it will be impossible to pray effectively. In fact, bitter believers seldom pray. And one of the reasons that I saw the need for men to develop intimacy is that over the years, literally the thousands of people I have counseled, every man I counseled, none of them had an intimate relationship with God. It was missing. It was a dimension that wasn't in their life. And it opened them up to failures, all different kinds of failures. Nine, forsake. Andrew Murray said, we pray as we live. It's the life that prays. Colossians 3.5 tells us to mortify, put to death, your members which are upon the earth. Prayer will keep us from sin, and sin will keep us from praying. And we need, and listen, don't get into morbid introspection. The only time really in the New Testament I see that I am to search my heart is at the communion table. But we have our counselees pray Psalms 139. Search me who? Oh God, and know my heart. Try me. See if there be any wicked way in me. You know, try my thoughts and so on and lead me in the way of understanding. Let the Holy Spirit Reveal if there's hindrances in your life because of resentments. And let go of those things. If there's sin issues in your life that you need to put under the blood, do that. Oh, I did the forsaken and put it up there, didn't I? Finish. That's the last one. Finish what? What you start. Reese Hall said, if you are going to have a prayer life, and remember, I think a lot of you have read his book, The Intercessor, you will never be a true intercessor before God if you're not willing to be a part of your own answers to the prayer you're praying. We asked Bill to order a book that would be available to you. It's a book that we, that the men that were at the prayer retreat last year, we had a case of books, which was many more than the guys, and it was all bought out. And not everybody's here, some people have left, so you're very fortunate, you will probably be able to get one. This book is Quiet Moments in Prayer. This is not for a beginner. This is not someone that's never prayed. This is for those that are saying, there's a dimension missing in my prayer life. And the, the, where the byline is, Experiencing Life-Changing Conversations with God. It's by Lloyd John Ogilvie, the uh, chaplain of the Senate. This book is phenomenal. I have five books in my library that encourage you. The books are written on praying scripture back to God. You need to do that. That's wonderful. After five books, I was convinced. Then I had another book on how to pray the Psalms back to God, the whole book on that. But this particular book, what he does, the first half is wonderful. The last half is this. The last half he gives you 30 days 
that can change your life. In those 30 days, he gives you the scripture to pray back to God under the various categories of prayer, and no scripture is repeated for 30 days. The guys would take this in the North Woods, and each thing you do has a listening verse and then a verse for response or verses. I cannot tell you that this book can be a real blessing to you if you will get this book. We're now selling it at our office. And I said, I would love to see every family have at least one of these. Because once, why should we pray scripture? God said, if you ask anything according to my will, what? He will listen. He hears us. And if we know he hears us, we know we have what we pray for. If you would like to learn how to fill your prayer with Scripture, this is the best tool that I know of, over 800 books in my library. This is the best book in that whole issue. Father, I thank you for this time. Father, I thank you for these dear folks that are here. And I pray, Father, that your spirit may have spoken to their hearts. Father, I pray that you would honor your word. And I pray that, Lord, I wasn't in the road of what you wanted to say. And that, Father, you know the prayer prodigals that are in this audience those that you've spoken to and called to their hearts about walking closer in a deeper and a richer relationship with you. And Father, I know right now you're standing with your arms out saying, come home, come home. Come and yada me, know me. Let me speak to your heart and share my heart with you, and you share your heart with me. Father, I pray that there will be those that will respond to your call to come home in this group. And they may leave here, and I know that once they do, there's the enemy of their souls that will try to throw obstacles up, because I've been through that many times. And, Father, that they were saying, no, I, I cannot not meet with my Father and develop a relationship that I know is possible but I've never experienced. And I want that more than anything because I know if prayer is going to be important to me and intimacy with God, it's going to be important to my children. They'll see. And so, Father, I commit this hour to you, and I pray that you would be glorified. I ask this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.